one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this very special bonus episode of The Last Laugh. My name's Matt Wilstein, and I'm a senior writer at The Daily Beast. A couple of months ago, I was at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. And when I saw today's guest perform stand-up, I knew I had to get her on this show. I got to see a ton of stand-up comedy in Austin this year. The first night I got there, The Daily Show hosted a showcase for its correspondence hosted by the great Roy Wood Jr. During that show, Ronnie Chang, who had just arrived on a flight from Australia, did a bit about how the country needs an Asian president that killed. I saw Jenna Friedman, who was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, make a bunch of tech bros deeply uncomfortable with her jokes about abortion. Ricky Velez, who used to be a contributor on Larry Wilmore's nightly show, shared some darkly funny thoughts about becoming a new father. But nobody I saw could touch Sam J. Sam, who has been writing for SNL for the past two seasons, absolutely destroyed with her jokes, including one long riff about how women should learn how to pee standing up if they want equal pay. It was the type of mind-bending bit that a male comic could never get away with, but she nailed it and the crowd could not get enough. I actually felt kind of bad for Todd Berry, a great comic in his own right, who was forced to follow her. He really didn't stand a chance. I got to sit down with Sam the day after that set at Rooster Teeth Studios in Austin. We didn't have a ton of time, so this episode is a little shorter than our usual, but I think you'll really enjoy it. This is The Last Laugh from South by Southwest with my guest, Sam Jay. Thanks for for coming out while you're in Austin. You having a good time uh, so far? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I did, like Austin. Yeah. Have you been to the? Have you played the festival before this? No, uh, I did like something off South by. I did this Funny or Die thing two years ago. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a part of South by. Yeah. You got a lot um, of shows this year though. So no, I've never done the festival. I yeah. got a few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I saw you last night and it was awesome. But I, I have to tell you first a story about what happened when I was trying to get into the show. Um, because okay. uh, I, I got there and I was, I was on the guest list. Thank you very much. And um, I saw there was a few people waiting outside, and one of them was Danielle Brooks, uh-huh. actress. I don't know if you know her, or friends with her, but she was there to, to see the show. And uh, and they were like kind of giving her a hard time or not letting her in. And they come to, and she's been waiting there before me. So I get there and they have the list. And they're like, they come to me first, even though she's been waiting there. You said thank you. Did I put you on the list? Someone in your, in your, in your crew put, put oh, me on great. the list. They, yeah. No, that just makes me happy. Yeah. They do their jobs. <laughs> I knew nothing about that. Yeah. Um, so they just be on point. I'll thank them too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so they, they came up to me first and I see the list and I'm like the, her name, I see her name on the list and I was like, you know, she's on the list too and like pretty famous. Like you should probably let her in. Um, and, and so that then they did, but, uh, but I, I felt like I was really feeling my, uh, my white male privilege on, on that one. Well, that's really wild because she came up to me today randomly and was telling me how funny she thought I was. Oh, well, that's nice. So you, you made that happen. Yeah. I got her, I got you her helped in. You facilitate that. <laughs> but I shouldn't have, but I shouldn't have had circle. to. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you killed it at the show. Thank you. Um, it was really fun. Um, and the other, uh, the other thing that we, uh, we have in common is we're both from Boston. 
I did not know that, really. Yeah. So I saw your 617 number, and I was like, <laughs> we got to talk about Boston. I'm from Arlington. Okay, yeah. So where did you grow up? Dorchester. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what, was it, what was it like uh, growing up there? I mean, I don't know. I guess like any place else that you grow up in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up, I'm a city kid, you know, so taking yeah. the bus to school, the city bus to school at like 7, 8, but I, all kids were doing that, you mm-hmm. know? City kid shit. Yeah. Um, and is it true that you you didn't get into comedy sort of really early on? You you got into it a little later, or what, what was yeah. the sort of story of how you how you got into this? I started comedy at twenty nine. Um, I think just life brought me there. Mm-hmm. Like I had tried a bunch of shit. I was one of those people who had like a million jobs, and I didn't really like I didn't really like doing uh, anything that wasn't creative. Mm-hmm. So then it was trying to find creative driven things to do, and so. I started with music and I got to a place with it, but it didn't really go where I thought it should have, you know, mm-hmm. but it taught me a lot. And it was the first time I had really put my trust in myself to do something, you know, yeah. like I put all my effort into it and I saw some type of progress. So I knew it was possible. And mm-hmm. then also it just taught me a lot about how to move in any creative driven industry. And then, you know, I was kind of just flailing around in life, you know, and didn't really have any direction and didn't really see any direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I knew like I always loved comedy and it was something I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like I tried it when I was about 21, I went down to like Dick's Comedy Vault mm-hmm. and I tried it and uh, I wasn't good. I remember not being good at it, and I was like, okay, I need to take a step back from this a little bit and analyze it. And then I got sick, and I was, like, hospitalized for a little while, and then when I got out, I moved to Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. I kind of just forgot about it, you know? Yeah. I just kind of fell into other shit. So I'm hitting that 29 age, and, like, my life is just looking like shit. I got these terrible office jobs and, like, just doing shit I fucking hate. I'm just like, this is I can't live like this another fucking second, really. Truly, it's just one of those feelings of, like, my life has to fucking change. Like, if it looks like this for another minute, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. And so, a little bit before my 30th birthday, I was like, like a few months, like I don't know, eight nine months. I was like, you know what? At 35, my life has to look different, completely fucking different. Yeah. And I was at my cousin's and I was fucking drinking, riff, talking some shit, and I had like the whole living room laughing. And I was like, yo, I gotta fucking try this shit, like. Truly, this is what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And I just got to stop being like a pussy and try it. And I was like, well, just give it like a year. Give it a year. Like, yeah. I dedicated a year to it before I even went to a mic. I was like, no matter what happens, I'm going to do this for a year. No matter what happens. And just put your head down and just give it everything you have for a year. And if you're further than you were when you started, put your head down and do it again. And just see what the fuck happens. And I just took that approach to it yeah one 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 year at a time one show at a time yeah yeah you i mean and now i, I don't know how many how many years it's been but i think you're you're really one of the you know best stand-ups in the game right now so well thank you i think you're you're just killing it so thank you that's awesome um so how do you feel like your you know sort of approach to this whole stand-up thing has has evolved during during that time from when you you started till now <laughs> These are like deep, deep ass <laughs> yeah, questions. Yeah, we, we ask deep questions on this show. Whoa. Um, this is like a comedy fans podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man. Um, so many different ways, I guess. It's that's a tough one because mm-hmm. I'm more confident, of yeah. course. So I think the way I develop content is different too. Like I'm being more risky or I'm willing to have longer conversations. Like when I first started, you know, you just want to get up there and fucking kill, bro. You just mm-hmm. want to you just you want to feel laughs the whole fucking time. You don't you don't want any space. Cause the space is it makes you so fucking nervous. You yeah. know? When they're not laughing, you're like I don't really know what to do up here because you're so afraid of it all still. You know, it's so much nerves involved. So like when I was new, it was just like, how much joke, joke, joke can I pack into mm-hmm. this fucking time? And now I'm chiller, man. Yeah, I'm cool in the little dead spaces. I'm like, this is fine because we're having a conversation, dude. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's going to fucking chill out sometimes. It's a wild expectation to think top to bottom every second that people are just going to be bowling over out of their seats. Like, no. Sometimes they're going to be fucking listening. They're going to be digesting things. If you're building a conversation, you watch any special that you think is great, and there's lulls. And they're not bad lulls. They're just observant lulls. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's needed. So when I started to think about wanting to do an hour for real, I noticed that in hours. And I was like, hey, Sam, you're going to have to get comfortable Mm -hmm. in that space if you're going to be doing stage time. And then so I kind of changed my act to do things that, kind of took more time to build, you know, mm-hmm. just to build that comfortability with all the different things. And you're kind of working your way up to to an hour now. Is that the, is that the goal to have yeah. an hour um, somewhere? Is there any, uh, do you have any idea like when, when that might happen or what, what the plans are? I mean, hopefully sometime in uh, 2020. Yeah. Cool. Um, I love the uh, the Netflix um, uh, comedy lineup set. Uh, oh, thank you. Which I'm sure I feel like is is probably one of the things people have seen the most of you, just because Netflix is so accessible and, mm-hmm. and, and people see it. How did you kind of think about that in terms of like you wanted to like that? Were you doing that as a way to sort of get exposure and, and get get more people to know about you? And how did you decide what? You know, it was only 15 minutes. So how do you how do you decide what to put in that? It's the funniest shit. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I thought yeah. was the funniest shit, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like it's 15 minutes. Like so just beat their heads in. You know what I mean? Like that was the thought. It was just like just put the funniest shit you got in there and yeah. hope it flies. Trying to figure out what's going on. Like, you know, been watching the news. Who hasn't? Trump's a thing. I don't give a shit, you know? Trump is just white guys have completely lost it. Because at least we can usually look to white guys like, all right, they might vote a way I don't like, but it's logical for them. This doesn't even make sense for them. This is just off the grid crazy shit. This nigga is like the Tupac of white niggas, you know? He's insane. He's spitting at the camera, grabbing his dick. He's fucking, he's losing it. Like before he does anything, he Twitter beefs people. Like, before he handles our national security, this motherfucker gets up and he's like, who's online talking shit? First priority, check these bitches. <laughs> it's insane. One thing that I'm really curious about is how uh, comedy audiences are are changing or if you've seen any any difference in sort of from when you started till now in terms of what people are willing to laugh at? Are they getting more offended recently, you know, in these recent years? Or do you feel like, do you, have you seen a change in that sense? I mean, I think it was a, a gradual thing since I started. You know, mm-hmm. I'm only six years in, so yeah. 
you know, I think they were already starting to steer that way a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's a little, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Every audience is different, you know? So I can't even say that because I feel like it just depends too. You go do like a show around some like stuffy ass fucking college, you're going to get a bunch of like <laughs> um, woke people that are, you know? Yeah. And then that's the energy you're going to get. You go to the cellar on a midnight on a Saturday, it's fucking wide open. You know yeah. what I mean? You could go crazy in there. You know, you go to do one of these like Legion of Skank shows, you can fucking just go the fuck off. I mean, it's just yeah. like. I imagine you like you like one of those more than the other colleges versus the, the cellar at midnight. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I can't. I hate doing colleges, but I mean, yeah. what comedian does it? It's just fucking But do awful. you feel like it's something that you have to do? No, absolutely not. It's something that you do for money. Yeah. yeah there's no fucking skill to be gained there i don't yeah. care what but you're, but you're doing <laughs> it for, but you're doing it for the money <laughs> yeah that's how yeah. i feel like when there's like you just need to do like all time isn't good time yeah i guess you gotta you learn how to bomb but you don't need to go to a college and learn how to fucking bomb mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's not do you have any specific uh college uh experiences that that doing shows that that stand out or that were particularly uh bad not really i don't do them a lot yeah you know like i i did them like three or four times and i do them like sparingly because I just, I know I don't particularly care for mm-hmm. them. And sometimes they go great. Like, I've had them go awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they never go as great as I f- feel like they should. Yeah. Even when it's great. Because they're just a little bit, they're reserved. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're scared to laugh at shit. They're scared to have their, like, other students see them laugh at shit. Oh, that person thinks that. You throw a porno joke out. You know, these kids are fucking still immature you know they don't know if it's okay to laugh or they're checking to see who is laughing first yeah that's not a great uh, environment for comedy no coming up sam J talks about entering the quote predominantly white space that is snl so you've also uh been performing a bit around with uh pete davidson um what's that what's that been like especially because he's become such this like bizarre paparazzi uh is there? You have I to just deal with, like uh, doing shows with anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you have to deal with uh, with with that kind of stuff. People, no. people recording or people. Uh, I mean, they take phones. I think. Yeah. I'm not even out there to know, but I think yeah. they take the phone like they would do at a Chappelle show or something. Yeah. But, what, what do you think about that in terms of? Um, you know, a lot of comics are uh, doing those. You know, pouches mm-hmm. with the, where they're not letting anyone use their phone to tape. Or right. do you think that's a good thing? Or do you would would you? Does it does it bother you when people uh, record? I mean, I think it's like uh, there's always a catch to something, right? I get 100% why comics do it. And I it sucks that people record your shit and then put it out mm-hmm. when it's not ready, when you're not ready for it to be put out. Yeah. I don't think people a lot of times realize that this is like a creative thought process. So things have to develop. And the only way we can develop them is to say them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we don't even always know if we 100% are standing on the side that we're standing on when we say something we're just like i need to export from this side all the way to the end mm-hmm. then i need to export from this side all the way to the end to kind of figure out what side i stand on or how i want to formulate this thought to convey whatever i'm trying to convey and when you record and pick up it in stages of that and then put it out as if it's my stance on things or mm-hmm. who i am or the joke it's really fucking annoying yeah because it's not accurate. So, yeah, I I get why people take phones, you know. But then yeah. also I think, and maybe because I have maternal instincts, what if I have kids and, and my kids are mm-hmm. fucking calling me or some shit? 
And you're telling me I can't have my phone on me yeah. to enjoy. That's kind of fucking crazy. Yeah, it's tough. I think it's a yeah, you're right. There's like needs to be some middle ground between between free for all and, and yeah. no one using any phones. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, you uh, in your in the Netflix um, set, you have some some Trump jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it's one of those things that like everyone's making jokes about Trump. Obviously, SNL makes jokes about Trump. And so how do you approach like doing something about a topic like that that everyone has jokes about and kind of put your own spin on it? Uh, I guess I just don't t- say things that I don't think to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't go like, I got to come up with another angle for this. I just like, if I think it to be true and that is my angle, I may think of creative ways to say that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I don't, I, I don't do that. I don't like research everybody's opinion on a thing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. ...before I, I just figure out my opinion on it and then the best you know the funniest way for me to do that Mm -hmm. do you work on the do you write the um them trump's uh sketch on us oh yeah i write co-write it yeah from the producers it's them trump's the first show to ask the question what if donald trump was black darius trump his wife malika darius jr and lavanka Together they are them Trumps. Sir, they know everything. They know about Russia. They know you used campaign money to cover up an affair with Magic City stripper Cinnamon Mercedes. And they know about the pyramid scheme you've been running through your company, Darius Trump Country Hams. Dad, the media has been out for you since day one, and you prove them all wrong. That's right, nobody ever thought you would get this far. The bankruptcies, your baby mamas, mm. but here you are on top. Yeah, maybe I've done some dirty thing, but I'm making America great again. And what these feds don't realize is that I'm the president, the most powerful man in the most respected office in the world. They can't lock me up. And even though I may be black. Freeze Trump, you're under arrest. Yeah, that sounds about right. I just think that that's so funny and such an interesting kind of contrast to the to the Alec Baldwin stuff that it's kind of just like this other take on on the Trumps. Is that where that kind of came from to kind of get a different a different approach to it than what we've kind of been seeing from for the last couple of years? No, nah, I was way more organic than that. It was yeah. just like this would be funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like Tuesday night, what do you want to write? 
Mm-hmm. This might be a funny thing. And then it's like, oh, the beats are flowing. You know, like you're, you're, coming, up, you're coming up with the bits for it. So you're like, oh, this is fun. You have fun writing it. You laugh. Then, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to be cool. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people obviously heard um, your, your your name probably for the first time when, when you got hired on SNL as a writer. Um, can you just tell the story about sort of how that happened <laughs> and what that was what that was like for you? I mean, I was just doing stand-up around. Um, and, you know, JFL, I did JFL. Mm-hmm. I, I guess people saw me at JFL, brought up to them. They saw me. They were like, hey, does she want to audition? I was like, yeah, of course I would mm-hmm. audition. And then I did like audition LA, another one. And then they called me, asked me if I would want to write. And I was like, this sounds like a cool thing to do. Yeah. Were you an SNL fan uh, growing up? Yeah. I mean, like, I think I, I like the show, like everybody who grows up, you know, where you go off and on. Mm-hmm. Like, there were seasons I watched and then times I didn't watch it at all. And then times when I started watching it again. Mm-hmm. Were there people that were like your people on SNL that you that you really liked, like that, that your era of a of, uh, Oh, cast? I mean, like Eddie Murphy, you know, just because like as a kid, that was like the first mm-hmm. ones that I saw. Mm-hmm. And I was a, just a big Eddie Murphy fan, period. So like anything he did, I was going to be like into. And then I like my high school years, which is when I think people kind of picked the show back up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think you watch it as a kid. Well, your parents, if you like, get to be like sneaky and stay up late, and you don't really have a whole sense of it, but you know it's like a funny thing going on. Yeah. And then somewhere in middle, late middle school, high school, you like pick it up again. Mm-hmm. So around that time, um, it's like Maya Rudolph and you know all those guys. Yeah. I could um, go running down the list. <laughs> you you got there, um, a, you know, a few years after there was this whole controversy over black women at SNL and mm-hmm. that they're. There hadn't been one in several years, and then and they were, you know, there was a lot of talk around that. Um, was that something that you were kind of aware of at the time, and was it? Did you was that something you were thinking about at all when you when you got hired? I mean, no. <laughs> that didn't bother you that that whole uh, that whole thing. I I don't know. It's like <laughs> I didn't really. Yeah, no, it didn't. I wasn't really like, oh, what is this? You know, I knew it was going to be a predominantly white space, mm-hmm. but I've had to be in predominantly white spaces all the time. So that mm-hmm. it wasn't like a thing where I was like, you know, yeah. I was just like, okay, I, yeah, I'm the only black lesbian here, but like, I don't know. I didn't feel, yeah, I really didn't feel one way or the other about it. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like they've made some improvements in that area in the last, you know, several years in terms of diversity. And, yeah, and I mean, there, it, exactly in the sense that there are there it, the writing staff is diverse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the only black lesbian, but I'm not the only gay person. I'm not the only person of color. You know what I mean? Like, so it's mm-hmm. like the writing staff is diverse, but yes, I am the only exact me yeah. type. You yeah, know? I'm just learning. I just feel like I'm getting so much stronger at it that I'm like kind of in love with everything right yeah. now. Yeah. Did you feel like there was a breakthrough like you when you between when you got there maybe you, you didn't have as much experience cuz you're coming from the stand-up world. Right. Um was there a, a sort of uh breakthrough in terms of how to write a sketch or or what what that skill set is like cuz it was kind of new for you? I don't know if it was a breakthrough as much as I knew when I I was doing it better. Yeah. And I knew when it was like becoming right. Like mm-hmm. I could feel it. It didn't feel as forced. It didn't feel as frustrating. 
I started to feel like I could write more to my actual comedic voice in that form. I feel like when I first started, I was writing so far away from my actual voice because mm. I was like, this is a different thing. You know what I mean? So mm. I have to be different. And as I grew into understanding it, it was like being able to bring those worlds together is like where when I see that progress and I'm like, okay, I know this thing is getting better. You know what I mean? So I don't know if it was just like, a, it wasn't like an aha moment mm -hmm. as much as it was like a, oh shit moment. You know, like you start in the sauce. Coming up, Sam J shares what it was like to be on the SNL stage with Kanye West when he delivered his pro-Trump rant. So we're coming off of the the Idris Elba week. Was that was that fun to have him at the show? Yeah, he's fun. I mean, I think most toasts are fun. You know, yeah. like it's it's very rare that you're gonna. It's a fun thing to do, and you know, you have to want to do it to mm -hmm. even come do it. So it's like most toasts are fun. Yeah, I feel like I've heard some people on the show talk about how when there's uh when there's a black host on the show, it kind of gives them more to do. Do you do you experience that at all? Like that. There, that there's more opportunities for you when there's when there's a black host. I mean, of course, because you can you can write more to your voice. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Then if not, but like, yeah, yeah. Same. There was like a woman or a lesbian or mm -hmm. yeah. You know, anything that I can directly relate to is of course gonna be easier to like. I don't want to know if it's more opportunity, but it's just like you're gonna have more fun writing that shit mm -hmm. and the quality is probably going to go up a bit mm -hmm. because it's just a world you know and not a world you're trying to make yourself understand or fit your voice into mm -hmm. so going back to your your stand-up i mean what are your sort of um what are your what are your big goals at this point in terms of what you want um from your from your stand-up career um i just want to do a good good first special I want it to be everything that I think it should be in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and what is that? What is it in your head? I don't know. It's it's crazy. So <laughs> I just know it. Crazy is good. I know what I want it to be. I just want it to be impactful. You know, I want it to be a special that impacts and doesn't just come and go, I guess is ultimately mm -hmm. what I want. And so um, that's really where my focus is, is like in getting the material up to that standard. Mm -hmm. so that it will be you know so that it will deserve it and um right now that's really it mm -hmm. are there specials that you that you look to that you think are like the best um specials bigger and blacker for sure mm -hmm. is probably the one for me yeah yeah and why why is it why is that i just think it's pretty perfect yeah you know it just because it's like I don't know. Some people judge specials like purely by joke telling, mm -hmm. but it was it was like the energy was perfect, the content was on time. Not just like the ability to tell the jokes, but to know what fucking jokes to tell, mm -hmm. what jokes were important, what needed to be said. It was just on the fucking pulse, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it was it was perfect. Yeah, I mean that is interesting like being on the on the pulse because there's always this lag time with a lot of specials between when you tape it and when it comes yeah. out. So that's something you have to consider too is like timeliness versus But that was timelessness. Where the brilliance of the structuring of the content and not just speaking to specificity as much as speaking to how people feel mm -hmm. and knowing that that feeling wasn't going to fade anytime soon. 
Mm-hmm. So then, you know, just speaking to that higher level of it. Mm-hmm. And with your material, do you do you feel like it'll be the thing, a kind of thing where you do an hour and then that that material will be kind of gone, or do you do you not view it like that? There seems to be a some comedians who like to put out an hour and then they're like, I'm never going to do that material again. And there's some people who who feel differently. So where where do you come down on that? I've made a firm decision about this. <laughs> it's such because you don't want to feel like a hack. You don't want to be using old jokes. You don't, yeah. and also you don't want to get fucking lazy and just stop writing because some people just do that. Yeah, and they just don't write any fucking more. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't want that. But you're also like sometimes I like my fucking joke, and I, why mm-hmm. do I have to throw away a joke that works? Because I said it before. That's fucking mm-hmm. dumb. So my middle, where I'm at and where I will stand forever, I feel, is I stop telling the joke when I don't like telling it. Mm-hmm. When it makes me, when I don't feel good about it anymore. When I mm-hmm. say it and it comes out of my mouth and I'm like, ugh. Yeah. You're a hack. When I say that to myself, you're a hack. Why the fuck are you still saying that? Dead. That can be tough because it might be that you you know you say it and it and it kills and the audience still loves it but you have to but you have to no, really not it, pay attention to that in some then in it, some ways. it doesn't matter that they love it yeah because if I if I start to service them I'll service them forever mm-hmm. and then the art's not mine mm-hmm. you know so that shit doesn't matter when I'm when I hate saying it it goes yeah so before uh we end what i i'd like to do is uh kind of do a little bit of a, a speed round where you kind of pull out one big memory from a from a few different uh highlights from the past uh few years of okay. your career if that's cool okay um so uh i'd start with the the first uh the first episode of SNL you did which was uh Ryan Gosling and Jay-Z was the musical guest who i know you've said is a big influence on you um I so, love what, so what was what was that like to to sort of be there and w- with him it was crazy because i i, I really 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 love jay-z like to the point where i haven't gone to see jay-z in concert ever because i'm like i don't want to see jay-z with all them people <laughs> <laughs> like real shit i'm like nah man i ain't trying to see jigga with all them people like i love jay-z that much that when i missed the jay-z unplugged i was devastated i was like i wish that I was a person of influence to have been able to know that was even happening, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because that's the perfect way. And yeah. once I saw, like, people seeing Jay-Z like that, I was like, I don't want to see Jay-Z in no fucking concert. That's fucking wild. So for him to be, like, the first guest and the studio is so fucking small, and I was just, like, standing there watching Jay-Z, and I got to watch him rehearse, mm-hmm. which is, like, even empty. It was just like, this is fucking wild. It was immediately like, oh this is different. Like mm. shit's different. You know, like this is crazy. <laughs> it's a real, like you've arrived a uh, moment. Like right? this is crazy. It was just like, Whoa, this is fucking stuff. It has changed. Yeah. Um, you put out an album, uh, not too long ago. Yeah. Um, what was, what was that experience like to kind of, cause you, you said you'd, you'd, you know, started in music. Um, and this is obviously a comedy album, but it kind of has some blending of, of, of mm. the two. So what, what what was that um what was that like for you to kind of finally put out this this big album? Um well when I say I started music, like I didn't make music or anything like that. I don't want mm. that to be uh, misunderstood. I just was like working with a company mm. with a record label mm. and I was like A and Ring and like yeah. stuff like that. So But in the music in the music world. Yeah, in the music world. Um it was just great to put together a piece of art. Like I was just happy to make something that was 
what exactly what I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. It was like that was the idea I had in my head. That was the feeling I wanted conveyed. It did everything I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was super proud of it, and um, yeah, it it was really it was just really a good moment of like completing a project, you know, which. Mm-hmm. Since you're not forced to do it in school anymore, you forget how good it feels to just complete a fucking project and be like, yeah, I thought of this, I executed it, I finished it, I'm proud of it, here it is. Mm -hmm. And then the the last thing that I have to ask you about is, were you there... um the night that uh that Kanye performed and then did that uh that pro Trump uh rant at the end of the show and and what was that like? I mean, weird. <laughs> <laughs> Un- unexpected. Did unexpected. You, uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what was the vibe in the in the room? Like, whoa! Is this happening? <laughs> that's that's all you want to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, for doing this, and this was a really uh, fun conversation. So, thank thanks you for, for having thanks me. for coming out. No problem. All right. All right. Thanks so much to Sam J for being my guest on today's show. You can find her huge list of upcoming tour dates at samjcomic.com, and we'll put a link to stream her album Donna's Daughter in the description of this episode. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith for Starburns Audio and Scott Porch for Himalaya Media. Special thanks this week to Nick Schwartz and Rooster Teeth Productions in Austin for letting us record this episode there. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights, as always, from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.